Good morning. How's it going? You guys ready for the eclipse tomorrow? Just quick show of hands. How many are planning to try to go into the path of totality and fight the traffic and the crowds? How many of you are just like, not worth it? Okay. All right. Fair enough. I still haven't made up my mind yet on where, I, where I'm going to be. Um, before, uh, before we get started on the sermon this morning, uh, we're actually going to have a few of our church members come up and share different ways that they've been serving this summer and how they've seen God using that. So uh, Jenny Harris, uh, Ian McIntosh, Malia Berland, and John Miller, would you guys come on up to the stage? And, uh, oh, good. I was just going to ask if you knew where the microphone was. So like I mentioned, these are members of our church, and uh, it looks like we're going to be starting with Ian. Oh, you called Jenny. All right, fair enough. So these are different members of our church. Um, they've done a number of different things this summer uh, in serving uh, through our church or through a different organization. And so we just thought it'd be kind of cool for them to share uh, just their, your name real quick, uh, briefly what you did, just kind of the facts of um, whatever service thing, and then how you saw God use that either in yourself, the people you were serving, or uh, the church in general. And so we just kind of wanted to hear those stories. So Jenny? So I get to go first. My name is Jenny Harris. And when we first started coming to Philida, we were super excited. I was super excited that there was a basketball court. Before moving out to Vancouver, basketball was my life. I played, I coached, did camps all the time. And so when we first came here, where did I play? I played for the University of Toledo in Toledo, Ohio. Um, I played professionally a little bit in France. I've also played in Switzerland, Poland, um, Australia, and Spain with a wonderful organization called Athletes in Action, which was awesome. It was teaching you how, as an athlete, to use that platform to talk about Christ. And so she'll be doing autographs after the service. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was great. I I brought out when I did Athletes in Action, we had little playing cards, and so I brought them out and I had a little bit of our background. I gave them to all the kids, and they were excited. And the parents kind of looked at him and said, you look a little younger in those <laughs> pictures, which <laughs> is true. That was a little while ago. <laughs> but I was really excited to be able to use the facility that we have to do a basketball camp. So we did it at the end of June. We had 23 kids. My daughter came for a few days, so that was 24, which was perfect. God raised up some wonderful helpers that made it totally possible because it wouldn't have happened without them. And what our goal and our purpose was, was to show a different way to attack athletics. A lot of you guys are um, in athletics yourself, or your kids are, and it's all about winning, and it's all about being the best, and, and sometimes it's at all cost. And so that's what's not important. What is important is being a good teammate, be, you know, sportsmanship, those types of things. So how we did that is we did a lot of skills, obviously, because I really believe it's important that you want to be your best. So we gave them all of the skills, the techniques, the tools they needed, and they all went home with packets that went through all of the drills that we did. So the hope is if you want to improve, it's not just a week. You need to do it every day with anything. And we had a thought of the day, and we had a player of the day. And the goal of those were not to see who's the best, because usually we didn't pick the best person, the one who made the most baskets, the one who did this or did that what the world would have chosen. It was the one who encouraged somebody when they were down. It was the one who went over to the person on the floor and picked them up and said, come on, let's go and do this. Our final player of the week was someone who was awesome 
awesome encourager, really good on defense, did all the hustling, did all the little things that so often are not rejoiced and encouraged in the world. So that's what our goal is for the camps. As we look forward, it's you know to continue to bring um, Jesus into your sport. I think that's what we want to try to teach the kids to do. We had a lot of kids from this church. We had kids from some area churches. There were some kids from the community, and I saw them. Some of them came to BBS, which I thought was awesome. So it was just, it was a wonderful experience. So there you go. So my name's Ian McIntosh, and I'm here uh, to tell you some stories about heart change and how God has been using the heart change workshop in a few people's lives this summer, uh, in a lot of people's lives, um, but I'm going to highlight just a few stories. Uh, the first one is a story of a young person who lives here uh, locally in Clark County. Uh, this young person was involved in ministry in their church for quite a while, and then just decided that they didn't believe in God anymore and just hung it up and was like, you know what, I think that um, I've been told a bunch of lies and, you know, um, this whole God thing isn't really for me and just walked away. And someone encouraged the young person, hey, you should go to this workshop. And they're like, yeah, whatever, you know, I've heard all the God stuff. I don't want that anymore. They said, well, no, really come. I think this will help you. So uh, the person came and about halfway through the workshop, uh, the person publicly, well, at the very beginning, introduced themselves and said, you know, I'm, I'm here, just I, I don't believe in God, so don't cram it down my throat, but um, I heard it might help me with some other stuff. So about halfway through, um, there they are in front of everyone saying, hey, um, I just want you to know that I'm back with the Lord again, and I realized that I was holding all this pain against him, and that, uh, that really the, the problem was the way I was dealing with my pain. It wasn't really my belief in God. And, and now they're getting back into ministry again and, uh, and just really, you know, huge change in direction for that young person. Um, another story, uh, another young person who um, she had been told by her dad from the very first day she was born that, uh, that he basically was rejecting her because she was born a girl instead of a boy. And, uh, in fact, um, cuss words were the first thing that he said when he saw, oh, bleep, it's a girl. Like, that's what her dad said, when she entered the world. Mm. And so she grew up with this obviously very difficult relationship with her dad, and she, um, she began to view God in that same way and, and think that God was disappointed with her because of who she is and that God didn't really love her and cherish her and want to be with her, but God actually was, was just like chronically disappointed with her. And um, so she goes to the workshop, and she realizes this view of God that she had and she, um, she was able to um, not only forgive him, but to actually call him up and say, hey, Dad, um, I just want you to know I, I forgive you. And, and he just he started into his normal way of, you know, cussing her out and belittling her and everything. And, and she let him do his thing. And then she said, hey, um, yeah, Dad, that's not going to really work on me anymore because I've forgiven you, and, um, and I don't hold that against you. And... and that relationship is still healing, but her relationship with God is just tremendously impacted in that one. And one more really quick story. This gal totally didn't know the Lord at all. In fact, she was uh, caught up in drugs and whatnot, and her boss, who is a Heart Change alumni, 
told her, um, okay, you need to go to this workshop. Like her boss actually made her go to the workshop. <laughs> and, and she didn't, she didn't uh, know the Lord or anything. And uh, she came to the workshop and she accepted Christ. And, um, and her whole family got baptized. And, and they're really involved in ministry at their church now and everything. So just a few stories to let you know how God's been using heart change uh, here in Clark County over the last summer. Yeah. So, cool. <laughs> Uh, sorry, real quick before you start, Melanie. Just so you guys know, if you're unaware, Heart Change is a four-day like conference workshop type thing that's hosted in a number of different churches, but our church is one of them. So if you're ever interested, just watch for the um, in your bulletin. We'll, we announce upcoming ones here. There's one in about three weeks, I think. One in about three weeks. Cool. Um, my name is Malia Berland, um, and this summer... I had the opportunity to go to um, St. Croix, which is a U.S. Virgin Island, and I worked at a YWAM base, which is uh, Youth with a Mission, and I was able to be a mission builder there, and at the time, they um, were um, they were getting ready for summer camp, and then they had, um, while I was, I was there for three weeks, and the first week, I just kind of helped them um, get ready for summer camp, and then the second week, I, I got to counsel um, for eight to 11 year olds, I believe, eight to 12, something like that. Um, and, um, something like during those three weeks that God, um, showed me uh, more specifically actually connects to something he had convicted me of like a month before. Um, so I go to Multnomah full time and, um, God had really showed me right when the school year ended that, um, I, he was like, well, yeah, like you don't Sabbath ever. You don't rest. You don't like stop. And um, so when school starts up again, I really want you to do that. I want you to make it a priority to stop, to rest. And um, so when I was in St. Croix, he brought that back up. And instead of just telling me that, he was like, this is why. It's like, because when you stop, like, you get to hear my voice and I get to spend time with you. Like, I want to, like, spend time with you. I, like, cherish the time that we have together. And so... um, and I thought that was really cool that he was just, like, not only, like, told me, hey, you need to do this because, like, I said so, but, like, made it way, way more personal and was like, yeah, I want to, like, be with you. And I was like, cool, thanks. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Okay, so I don't know if the best is last, so we'll just hold on. <laughs> My name is John Miller, and um. I was part of the mission to Vancouver that we did this year here in August. And I'm telling you, letting you know now, everybody in here, sign up. There's a la carte. You don't have to do it the whole week, but you will learn a lot that whole week. And the, the main thing I got is I always think back to in the gospel where, you know, Jesus is asked, where does the son of God lay his head down? And Jesus' response is, come and see. Well, when you make sandwiches and you go down and you go down into the poor of the people, to me, it really changed my impression of what people are dealing with. I mean, I was surprised at the stories of how many are just one or two bad luck stories, and they're down on their luck. You know, you really see the face of Christ there when you look at these people who are dependent and who are fully dependent on what they need in order to do. And it's not the drug stories or the things that I thought or the, you know, if they just get a job or I know how to fix them. But when you really sit and you connect and you realize that, you know, they're a son, they're a daughter, they have families, they have kids, 
and they have the struggles, it really opens your eyes to what the challenge is. And I know they're talking about doing it next year, and I challenge all of you, you know, you can do the a la carte. Make it a priority and go, because it will open your eyes. Or if not, if you want to experience it and see what it's like, call me up. We'll get a couple loaves of bread. We'll go down there. It's quite, it, it's, you know, they always need help. We were there on one of the hottest days of the year. I mean, and the good thing about it, I shouldn't say this, but the good thing about it is that there were a lot of people helping them. So we really were like having, it was kind of like the fish, the loaves and the fish story because they, they had enough. They, you know, we were having trouble giving away food on this hot day, on this cold, on, you know, for the hot weather. So what a blessing that is. But uh, I think the, that was the main thing I got is that your church was well represented there. And I challenge, you know, let's again have that next year where everybody's going. And so we're way overrepresented and they know that we're at work here. Cool. All right. Uh, let me just pray for you guys real quick. Yeah, it's like, uh, already. All right. Uh, let me just say a quick prayer, and then uh, then we'll dive in. Lord, I just thank you for uh, the work that you have done, that you are doing uh, in the lives of these four people in our church. I know there's lots of other stories uh, that aren't being told this morning. And so, God, we just are grateful that you are always at work. You are redeeming. You are reconciling the world to yourself. You are growing us as a church. And uh, we just celebrate that, and we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, guys. So, uh, the reason uh, we wanted to have them come up and share uh, was we want to get into the habit more and more of uh, hearing how God's working and being able to celebrate as a church body what God's doing. And so hopefully we'll do that. Um, you'll see that coming more semi-regularly. We don't really know exactly how often we'll do that, but more and more we want uh, to be able to share publicly uh, what God is doing um, in and through the people here at this church. Uh, but also today seemed to be a, a particularly appropriate day to um, start that or have that shared because it perfectly illustrates uh, the point of the sermon and if you were here last week, you might remember uh, we were going through a series called Bridges, and I used this illustration, if you were to imagine our church uh, floating down a river, uh, there's a lot of people f- that feel like they're kind of staying on the banks. And so um, each week is a different uh, aspect of what it means to be connected to the church, what it means to be a member of the larger body of Christ, and what that means if you're going to commit yourself to a local uh, church body. And so that's not just Philida Bible, but if you were to be a part of any um, Bible-believing, gospel-centered church, um, each one of these four things is something that would apply. And so last week we talked about church membership, and that was all about you being a citizen of the kingdom of God, and God is, that Jesus is redeeming a people for himself, not just isolated individuals. And so we talked about that as bringing you kind of into the boat. This week we're talking about spiritual gifts and service. And so that's, you know, if you're in the boat with us, uh, God sort of hands you an oar and tells you you get to start rowing too. Um, And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, I would like everyone to open their Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. And I know that normally we have it on the screen, um, and we will again, but I want everyone to actually have it in front of them because um, I'm going to be referencing a lot of verses. And so I want you to be able to kind of go right back to them as I talk. Most of them will be on the screen, but some won't. So if you're using a Bible from the pew in front of you, it's page 959, 959. 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read a large chunk, uh, about a little more than half the chapter. So uh, let me read, starting in verse 1. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Uh, To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And he'll go on, uh, but we'll stop there in verse 20. This passage is really rich and has a lot uh, that we can learn from it. And as I was kind of studying and preparing, uh, trying to summarize this, one, um, this section into one sentence, um, this is what I got, and this is going to be the main point for the sermon. Every Christian is given a unique spiritual gift, which is necessary for the good of the church. Every Christian is given a unique spiritual gift, which is necessary for the good of the church. If you're a person who takes notes, this is the one note uh, that I gave you to take. Um, You can write down anything else you might find helpful. But what we're going to do for the remainder of the sermon is basically just kind of go phrase by phrase through that sentence. And so uh, let's look at the first one. It says, every Christian. Paul makes it unmistakably clear that each and every individual Christian um, is given this gift or given a gift. In verse 7, he says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. He uses that same phrase in verse 11, to each one. Uh, In verse 18, he's um, into that analogy of the body, and he says that uh, God has arranged each part of the body, specifically the way he wanted it to be, each individual part. Um, And then verse 27, we didn't read that one, that's later on in the chapter. Um, He says, now you, and the you in verse 27 is plural, now you all are, are the body of Christ and each one of you, and that's in singular, each one of you is a part of it. So it says, so it's like he's saying, you all are the body of Christ and then you and you and you and you individually are members of it. The point is, there is no 
you know, spiritual special forces unit that does all the actual work, and the rest of us are kind of like on the side. Um, the Bible will talk about leaders, and that's a, a common misconception is that leaders are, are somehow this like other group, and uh, Pastor Scott will be preaching on leaders next week, but that's just not the case. Just because a team has a coach doesn't mean it doesn't need players, okay? So the body is made up of a lot of different people, and every individual Christian has something to offer. See, spiritual gifts that are a result of the gospel, that's, that's Paul's point in verses 12 and 13 um, about being baptized into one body, that we are, um, through Jesus, given a spirit. So if we just think about this for a moment, the gospel is the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection that reconciles us to God, and as we talked about last week, is building a people for himself. That offer, the Bible makes it very clear that that offer is open to anyone and everyone, black or white, man or woman, young or old. The gospel is God's free gift of grace to anyone who would place their faith in Jesus. Now, spiritual gifts are a result of that, then it means, and every Christian is given a gift, then it means that regardless of your background, of how good or bad you think you've been, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. You have something to offer. A lot of people think about um, church and ministry kind of instinctively, sort of like a sporting event where there's a select few players on the field and the rest of us are in the uh, bleachers or on the bench. And the difference between the people on the field and the people on the bench is talent. And really, that's not the way the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. That's not the way the Bible talks about ministry at all. It talks about it much more like a symphony, where each one of us is given an instrument, and as we play our individual instrument, something beautiful comes out of it. So every Christian is given a gift. Now, the next phrase is that they are given a unique spiritual gift, which is necessary. So this is kind of the meat of the sentence, um, unique spiritual gifts. So first off, the, all the gifts are not the same and they're all important, okay? So just verses four through six, uh, he talks about different kinds of gifts, same spirit, different kinds of service, same Lord, uh, different kinds of working, but same God. You notice he says spirit, Lord, and God. He's, he's talking about the Trinity there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we as Christians believe in the one triune God and He has given us a variety of different gifts. And as those are used, our diversity and variety of gifts reflect his own diversity and yet unity. Does that make sense? That even though there's like a lot of different things going on, there's really one main author, uh, the one triune God. So imagine for a moment that that you decide it is time to update the kitchen. Okay, uh, this, your house has just had it and you're tired of living in the 60s. So you decide it's time to remodel and uh, you recognize that the scope of the project is beyond your ability or willingness to do. And so you're going to hire a contractor. So you talk to friends, you do a little bit of research and you find somebody and you're like, okay, you talk with them, um, get a quote and all that and it sounds pretty good. And the first day they come in, it's, I mean, this is a full-on remodel, so they're, it's demo work. They're taking out um, counters and windows. I mean, they're reframing stuff. And so the first day is, is all hammers and crowbars. They're just hitting stuff, and it's fun, and it's great, and there's lots of dust and asbestos everywhere. <laughs> the next day, 
or the next project, the next part of it, is they're ripping up flooring. And still you notice they're using hammers and crowbars, which is a little bit weird to you, because you know there's such a thing as a floor scraper that can make their job a little bit easier, but they, they're like, no, we know what we're doing, and so they use hammers and crowbars to rip up the flooring. A few days later, they're putting in your new countertops, your new cabinets and all that, and still, they're not even using screwdrivers. They're just using hammers and crowbars. And you're starting to wonder if there's a little bit of an incompetence going on here. And they're trying to put in your new window and slightly tap it in, and it just shatters because all they're using are hammers and crowbars. I mean, you get the point, right? To get the job done right, you need the right, the right tool for the job. And different jobs require different tools. In the same way, representing Jesus to the world, serving the body of Christ, is going to require a lot of different tools. There are a lot of different people in the world who need Jesus or who need to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And I cannot help all of them, and you can't help all of them. And not just because there's a lot, but because there's a lot of different kinds of people. There's a lots of different problems that need different sorts of solutions. It's still the one solution, the one gospel, the one triune God, but the way he goes about it might be different. And it may be that he uses you with one person and me with another. Okay? So Paul uses, he makes this point talking about a body, right? And so he talks about a body being made up of lots of different parts. And uh, just think about the absurdity for a moment of what he's saying. First off, he's talking about a foot being able to speak. And he said a foot, because it's upset that it's not another part of the body, just up and walks off. That doesn't happen. Look what he says in verses 17 through 19. Uh, He says, uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Okay, these are rhetorical questions. Anytime you see a rhetorical question, meaning you know the answer, um, you should just answer it in your head, okay? If, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Nowhere. We'd be deaf, is what he's saying. Um, If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Nowhere. We wouldn't have any smell. But, in fact, God has arranged the different parts of the body, every one of them, every one of you, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Again, a rhetorical question. Nowhere. His point is this. A body is not a body if it's just a foot. Okay? A body is not a body if it's just a foot. You need muscles. You need bones. You need hands and arms, a brain and organs. You need all these different parts that are very, I mean, a foot and a liver are two very different things. Okay? But you need all of them to create one body. And so this is the image he gives. The point is that God has given us more than hammers and crowbars. He has given us everything that's needed to do his work. And I think he's intentionally made it so that you or I can't do it on our own. That we are, we are, we are intentionally dependent on one another to represent Jesus to the world. So, I use this analogy of hammers and crowbars. Paul uses this analogy of body. And moving out of analogy land, an obvious question is, Okay, so what are the tools, or what are the body parts? What are the actual gifts? What are the spiritual gifts that he gives? And this is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 are kind of the main, that's the main biblical passage on spiritual gifts, but it's not the only one. There's other passages as well in Ephesians and Romans, and uh, maybe one other place I can't think off the top of my head right now, but 
But in each different one, he gives different lists. And so he'll, like he listed um, one in our passage here, but he'll do another list in Romans and a different list in Ephesians. And the confusing thing is, those lists, there's overlap, but they're not all identical. And so this has led um, scholars and theologians to debate that if you were to just combine all the different lists he writes into one master list, does that, is that an exhaustive list? That only what's on this master list is what exists, and that's the only spiritual gifts there are? Or, because they're different, is it suggestive that these are the kinds of gifts that he might use? And so this is definitely not a salvation issue. This is something that Christians can disagree on, on whether or not the lists are suggestive or not. I tend to fall into the second camp, the suggestive one, but uh, it doesn't really matter where we fall. Um, The point is he gives a variety. So rather than going through all the ones that he does, let me just give you a flavor of the different sorts of gifts that he mentions. Uh, One that he mentions is administration. So if you're a person who loves to look at calendars and Microsoft Excel is your best friend and like budgeting and scheduling and organizing and you just have that very analytical, administrative, insurance policies are great um, kind of mind, great to read kind of mind, um, then you might be an administrative type person. You might have that sort of gifting. Um, But there's also gifts that are much more relational in nature. Like he talks about hospitality or encouragement where you... I mean, if just sitting down with a cup of coffee and heart-to-heart with somebody is, like, that is awesome. That's what you want to do. You, you um, get energized by that. You want to hear their story. You want to share yours. You might have a hospitality or an encouragement gift. Uh, maybe you're a person who's very logical in your thinking, and you, int- and you um, like to think and communicate truth in a way that people can understand it. You might have like a teaching or more academic kind of gift, teaching or preaching perhaps. Maybe you're really tangible, really hands-on. When someone's sick, you you don't want to just pray for them. You want to make them food. You want to go to their house and mow their lawn. Um, You want to just do something that meets a felt physical need. And so he talks about the gift of helps. And so the point is there's a variety of different ones. And I would encourage you, um, I would encourage you to, Google just spiritual gift list this afternoon and just read through the different ones that he mentions. There's a lot of them. And so whether uh, you're going to say it's suggestive or exhaustive, the point is there's a bunch of different ones and that's a good thing that there's not just one. Um, So let's just think about the term spiritual gift for a moment. Uh, First off, just the notion that it's a gift uh, tells us, it reminds us, first off, uh, of the fact that gifts are related to the gospel, that they don't actually come from us. The Bible makes it clear that God is the giver of all good gifts. And so the gift is actually from God our Father, the good giver. Uh, But the term spiritual here, uh, in Greek, uh, the term when it says spiritual gift is connected linguistically to the word grace, And so some have suggested that it could be translated like gracious gift or gift of grace. Uh, And what's cool about that is that has really two implications for the way we ought to think about spiritual gifts. Uh, Number one is that it is an act of God's grace that we even have spiritual gifts. Um, So I, I mentioned to you that gifts are a result of the gospel. And so it's not just that God has reconciled me to himself. It's not just that God has included me in his kingdom people He has done those things and they are glorious and he ought to be praised for them. But he has also put a tool in my hand 
and, and told me to get to work. Not to earn his favor, but to give my life some sort of meaning and purpose, to give me some um, ability to do things that have eternal impact in the lives of other people, to share the good news of Jesus with others and to help them grow. And so it's an act of grace that God has not just saved you, but that he has actually letting you work with him. He's like bringing you to his, his workshop and he's letting you do stuff. That's really cool. That's really gracious of him. Uh, but the second thing that's cool about the fact that it's connected linguistically to the word grace is that as we exercise our spiritual gifts, other people tangibly experience the grace of God. So for example, let's say that you have the gift of encouragement and, and you're an artist, you like to paint. Maybe you've got a friend who's um, been sick, feeling kind of down, and they're in the hospital. And so you paint a painting and go visit them for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And as you do that, when you leave, that person, even though medically nothing may have changed, um, they feel supernaturally lightened by your visit. Um, more so than when other people come and visit. And, and that is, what I understand that to be is, God sees a person in need of encouragement over here, and you, because you've got the gift, he has you go and um, show an act of love, and you exercise your gift for this person, and that is God's practical way of being gracious to your friend in the hospital. That, your painting is how that person experiences the grace of God. What's cool about that is you become a conduit. You become an agent of grace to a person. You can think about it like, like your wiring that just brings one thing to another. Or you're a pipe or however you want to think about it. You, you are actually dispensing the grace of God. And as you do that, you experience his grace even a little bit more. So I, I've just always thought that's a really cool way, the way God has designed it, that we would experience his grace that way. So no matter what you're good at or what your gift is, every one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're following him, you have a gift. It's unique to you and it's necessary, and here comes the last phrase, for the good of the church. It's necessary for the good of the church. So in verse seven, Paul tells us clearly why the gifts are given. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit, he's talking about spiritual gifts, is given for the common good. In other places, he'll use the term for the edification of the body or the building up of the body. And like I mentioned, there's other passages that speak to spiritual gifts. So um, let's turn to Ephesians 4. And this is another one of those passages. This one will be on the screen. But you'll see more clearly this whole idea of for the good of the church and what exactly Paul means by that. So starting in verse 11, it says that it was he, that being God, it was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. So now he's going through a list again. Um, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service or the more traditional translation of that phrase is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So follow the progression here for a moment. He gives pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. He lists these kind of like leadership type gifts. And he says the reason he did that was to equip other people for the work of ministry. So the notion, there's been this false notion since 
uh, probably about the Middle Ages, there's been this notion that um, the pastor or the clergy or the church staff or the elders or whatever you want to call them, the ministry professionals are the ones who are actually doing ministry. Whereas you, as a business person or a realtor or a stay-at-home mom or whatever it is that you do, are doing something other than ministry, that's a false notion. That, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Uh, it teaches that the reason God gave some leaders to the church was so that other people would be equipped that God's people would be equipped for the work of ministry. And then in verse, um, what verse is it in 13? Yeah, uh, 12. Uh, To prepare God's people for the work of ministry. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the same idea for the common good. The reason he gave leaders was to equip everybody else so that the body of Christ would be built up. What's cool about this paragraph here is Notice this phrase he says, as people exercise their gifts, we reach unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature. And this last phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Um, If you've got Ephesians open, I don't have this one on the screen, but if you've got Ephesians open, you might look back at Ephesians 3.19. That is his prayer request for the Ephesian church. As he, pr- as he prays, he's got this very famous prayer that God would help them to understand the love of Christ that is wide and high and deep and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And he says this in verse 19, that, so he's praying all these things, so that you would be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. It's almost the exact same phrase. And so what I want you to see here is in one section of the letter, Paul is praying that these people would attain this maturity and attain this like fullness, this measure of God. And in the very, like just a several paragraphs later, the very next chapter, he's saying one of the ways that happens is as people practice the spiritual gifts that God has given them, as people serve. So you heard these four people talking and I mean, as they're serving, they're being encouraged. As they're serving, the body of Christ is being built up. People are reminded of the truth about who God is. The way they play basketball is changed. Malia is reminded to rest and that God actually wants to spend time with her. Okay? And so you see this like maturing thing that's happening as people are serving. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like you just serve and are unaffected by it. That you yourself grow and as we do it together, we grow together. And eventually reach this point where the body is mature and is a safe uh, place of love, safety, strength, and maturity. And that's basically exactly how he describes it in the next paragraph. And uh, just for the sake of time, we won't be able to read all of verses 14 through 16. Um, But just to reiterate the point one more time, in verse 16, he says this, from him, from Jesus, the whole body, so we're back to this body imagery, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Okay, so again, every supporting ligament, every piece playing a part, um, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as you exercise your gift, as I exercise mine, as another person exercises his or hers, we grow as a whole body in love, is what it says. And as we do that, we become, as a group, more like Christ which is exactly what we want. That's exactly what we want. So, every Christian is given a unique spiritual gift which is necessary for the good of the church. 
So let's ask a few practical questions and then we'll wrap up. First off, how do I know what my gift is? That's a very obvious question if you're thinking, I don't know what my gift is. If I'm supposed to have one, um, it's not like when you place your faith in Jesus, you get some sort of welcome packet and in it is an envelope that says, hey, your spiritual gift is administration. Da-da-da! Like, it, there's nothing that tells you. And so the, it's a pretty common question. How do I know? Um, let me, there's a few diagnostic questions that can help us lead to the answer. Number one, is there something that you're naturally already good at, interested in, um, people affirm you in, that you could do in the name of Jesus? Probably. There probably is something that you are already naturally good at. Spiritual gifts, um, in, in my opinion, can overlap with natural talents and gifting and ability. Because I understand that God, we understand that God has made the whole person. It's not like he's just confined to the spiritual side of your life. So the way that he made you is intentional. And so if you're naturally good at something, it would make perfect sense to me that once you place your faith in Jesus, God has made you good at that thing for the glorification of Jesus. Um, So if there's something you're already good at, you enjoy doing, it energizes you, um, see if there's a way to do that in the name of Jesus for somebody or a way to help people grow. If if you're a person you're thinking, I'm not good at anything, um, I don't know what I'm good at, uh, I'll just say, A, you're probably wrong. There probably is something you're good at. um, So ask some people around you. But B, okay, let's say that's where you are. Then just try some things out. Shoot first, ask questions later. Just, just give it a shot. Just maybe, you're like, I want to try out teaching. Lead a devotion at your next family meal and, and just see how it goes. See how thinking and like looking at the text and seeing if you can explain it. See how that goes. Now, as a side note, you should be doing that as a family anyway, but if you're particularly good at it, um, you might have the gift of teaching and you particularly enjoy it. Maybe you're not and you're like, okay, check. Let's try something else. Um, and so maybe you're like, I, I really, maybe I have the gift of helps. And so when someone, you hear of a need, try practically meeting that need in some way. And if you fall on your face and burn the food and have to go buy something from Safeway, okay, check, not it. Try something else, okay? <laughs> you know, when I was in seventh grade, there was this requirement that you had to take some kind of music class, and I didn't want to do choir, so I, I took... <laughs> The alto saxophone. Uh, I was in band, okay? You've noticed I'm not up on the worship team. I have since learned I don't enjoy and I am not good at saxophone, okay? Guess and check. Just try a few things, okay? Um, and be okay with, with failing. Just be okay with that. It's the grace of God, okay? God will use it and, and move on. Now, just a side note, it doesn't have to be a formal ministry of our church. It doesn't have to be like a programmed ministry we do. It can be, but I don't want you to feel confined to that. So maybe you feel like administration is your thing. You could volunteer as an office worker for Options 360 and help save babies in the name of Jesus. Maybe you want to help homeless people, and so open house ministries becomes a passion of yours. And so see if you can plug in there somewhere. Um, It doesn't have to be like from Philida Bible Church at a scheduled time. It could be even your own personal ministry or outreach, okay? So you can get really creative in the ways that you do it. Um, And if it involves uh, one of the program things that we do, great, but it doesn't have to. It can look a lot of different ways. Now, if you're a person who's um, limited in some way from doing physical, tangible service or spending um, a ton of time on a certain thing, 
Um, let me just say, prayer is a huge ministry. It is not a B-list, second-string ministry of, oh, if you can't do anything real for the church, I guess you could sort of just pray, okay? Um, if you were here when we went through our prayer series, I, I hope you remember that our church passionately believes in the power and necessity of prayer. And so um, that is a service to the church, and uh, I guarantee when we get to heaven, nobody will be accused of praying too much, okay? So um, that's something that you can try out, okay? And by the way, it's something we all should be doing, even if we're not like feeling super gifted or super like Mr. Prayer Warrior or Mrs. Prayer Warrior, but... um, but just to say, that's a huge ministry, and that's a way that you can still serve and row, and it's a significant thing. Okay, so the first question, first practical question was, how do I know what my gift is? I answered that by saying, what are you good at? If you're not good at anything, shoot first, ask questions later, just try. Second question, how do I get started? How do I, how, how do I get in the boat and in an oar? Like, I want to serve, but I don't really know, like, what do I do? I'm here this Sunday, and I just go home. So two practical ways to get started. First, every Sunday, um, we make these handy-dandy worship folders. And right here on this yellow tab, there's a list of names for different areas of ministry that our church does. So if, you're gonna, if you think you're gifted a certain way or you want to just try out a few things, try to find the person who's in charge of what you think you might be interested in. And then go talk to that person. If you don't know who that person is, or you don't like, I have no idea who that one is. I don't know how to get in contact with him or her. Contact the church office. We'll get you connected. Um, there's a way that you can be involved. Uh, the second is um, in two months on October 1st, I'm going to be leading a ministry matchup seminar thing during the second hour. It's going to be a one hour seminar, and it's all designed to talk about this kind of stuff. It's going to be questions and exercises to help people think through how has God made me, how has God gifted me, how, how might God be wanting to use me in his kingdom. And so just try to help think through some really practical questions. If you want to be reminded of when that is, just write on your Connect card, like service class, and make sure your contact info is on there, and I'll make sure you get an email or something to be reminded that it's coming. Um, so those are the two practical things. So before we wrap up, Let me close up with one warning and then we'll be done. Um, The warning is this. Be be careful with this sermon. Um, As evangelicals, as people who believe that we are justified by faith alone, um, we're really wary of teaching and preaching something that might be construed as you need to do more things for God to be happy with you. Okay, so if you're a person with a sensitive conscience or you might be thinking like, God must be really upset with me right now because I'm not like rowing, Um, Let me just remind you of the gospel, um, that you are made right with God because of Jesus, because of his obedience to God, not because of yours, Um, because of your faith in him, because of his blood, you can be made right with God. It's not out of your serving, okay? So if, again, if you're a person with a really sensitive conscience, just be careful with this sermon. Don't take it too far. Okay? We do have a privilege and a responsibility to serve, but don't make the mistake of thinking that like, you've got to serve in order to be made right with God. Okay? So last week, we talked about church membership, and I made the point that if you believe in Jesus, um, this, the church is a place where you can belong. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, the church is a place where you are welcome to come and find out who he is and, and what the community of God is like. 
So the point this week is not just that you belong to the body, but if you're a follower of Jesus, that you, as an individual, you bring something to the table. You, you have something to contribute that no one else in this room has to contribute. God has uniquely shaped you and crafted you with your gift in combination with your personality, your history, your upbringing, all sorts of stuff. And he has made you in such a way to where, I mean, God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants, however he wants. But if I were to apply the teaching of the Bible here, it seems to me that there are certain things that God wants to do through you that he will not do through another person. You are uniquely gifted and shaped and placed to serve Jesus. So it's not just that you are in the boat, but you actually, and you don't just row because you have to, you, row, you bring something that we, if you weren't here, we would be missing a piece. Does that make sense? You bring something to the table. You have, you have something to offer, okay? And as we exercise those gifts, our church is gonna grow into Christ-likeness and maturity. We will be uh, more salty. We will be brighter as a light um, to our community, we will smell more strongly the fragrance of Christ um, to use the images of the Bible for how the church is to be um, to the world around us. So let me pray and then uh, we'll be done. Lord, thank you. Thank you for new life in Jesus. Thank you that as part of our uh, being a new creation, as part of our being born again, you have given us um, gifts and abilities. You've given us talents uh, and God, you've, you've given us more than hammers and crowbars. God, you've given us um, things to help, um, help the church and to help the world know who you are. So God, I pray for uh, every one of us that you would make it very clear how you want us to serve. Uh, may we not be consumer Christians. May we be contributors, Lord. May we move the mission forward. Um, I, God, I, I just pray that your spirit would move and worked through this church. And so the stories we heard this morning, there would be even more um, stories that we can share of just how, how God, how you are working um, as, as we serve. In Jesus' name, amen.